Okay, folks, on the Irish NFL show this week, obviously the draft coming up on Thursday night. We're live Thursday night. They do always say that the draft starts in Mobile, Mobile, Alabama. If you haven't been to the States, we can see them already given the. We are delighted to welcome the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, which happens in January, but also a guy who's an ESPN NFL draft analyst, Jim Nagy, to the show. Jim, on the week that it is, it's a massive honor to have you on. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's going to be fun. Jim, we ask every guest this, so you'll be no exception. Any affinity to Ireland? Have you ever been to Ireland? I've never been, but I, I've actually embarrassed to say this. I've never been outside the States except for Mexico and Canada, our two bordering uh, North American countries here, and, and to like the Bahamas and places like that, but never been over there. I would love to get over. If I, if I do, that's, uh, that's one place I want to get to. Well, with the NFL, I think, looking to, to increase the, the global reach of the game and the uh, potential for games in Germany, we're hoping for a game in Ireland maybe at some point in the future. We'd certainly love to, to welcome you to this little green island, Jim. So fingers crossed that might happen. Um, I would love it. We've got, I've got a lot of uh, Irish lineage. I've got plenty of freckles and, and my son's got the red hair to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, as, as Michael said, we, we are a week out at, at this point. And look, you know, it's a huge buildup. You know, as fans, we, we watch college football. We watch you and draft analysts on, on ESPN and across the board. We, we read the pieces. But more than that, you've been there, done it. You've been that NFL scout. Can you talk to us a little bit like about what the process looks like from the inside? What are the, what are the sort of meetings that take place? in NFL room, um, rooms and teams across the board? What would be happening at this time of year? Yeah, this time of year, it's a, it's a lot of buttoning things up. Um, you, most teams have had meetings, first round of draft meetings in December. Um, they'll go back in in, in February uh, and, and do those after the All-Star Games, after the, after the Senior Bowl, kind of some pre-combine meetings, and then they'll, they'll get back together in April and, and really pull it all together. So uh, this close to the draft, uh, the scouts are really putting on the recruiting hats and they are uh, reaching out to the players that they kind of think are going to be late round players that could maybe fall out of the draft and be more uh, free agent players. So you're really recruiting those guys hard uh, that they, they, I would love to take you inside what a draft room looks like in the immediacy after the draft, but it's impossible to really describe it's absolute chaos. So you really have to lay the groundwork with these players beforehand. So they, you know, one, take your phone call. Um, if you're talking about a soft sought after free agent, a guy that a lot of teams would have a draftable grade on, but for whatever reason fell through the cracks, um, they're going to have, you know, 20, 25 teams calling them immediately after the draft. So um, a lot of recruiting on the scouting end right now, um, again, recruiting, and then just making sure the teams, you have all the right contact information, make sure you have the right, cell phones and everything where you can get a hold of these guys. Um, at the really the director level, um, there's a lot of strategizing going on. Um, it's more, it's less about the evaluation right now. It's all about where, where do we have to target the players? Um, does it make you like, say you have a wide receiver need and a, and a running back need. You talk about if those are your top two needs, where does it make sense to address it? First round, second round later. Um, so there's a lot of those strategizing sessions going on. And then really the only cleanup part on the evaluation side is when you come in in April, after all the data has been collected and you've seen the pro day and you've seen the all-star games, um, you're getting back together as a staff and inevitably there ends up being clusters on your board, little clumps at every position on different points of the board. 
where you'll have like three or four guys whose cards are like right on top of each other. And you, there's really not a lot of separation. So um, a lot of times the GM will, will kind of dispatch a, a couple scouts, a couple coaches, um, you know, to a side room where they go and they watch that handful of players, those three, four guys, and really try to come to a consensus stack, if you will, on how they, they rank those guys and then come back into the room, kind of sort it out, explain to the room why you came to your conclusion, why this is the best decision for, you know, whatever club you're working for. So there's a little bit of that going on right now too, but um, a lot of strategizing and a lot of calling other teams. Um, I'll let you, you, a lot of the director level guys or national over the top scouts and GMs, they'll be calling contacts with other teams, laying the groundwork for trades. Uh, I'm just talking about, Hey, if, if our guy isn't here in, in the first round, you know, would you be with, if, if he's not there, would you be willing to trade back? Cause we'd really like to get up to where you're at. So those decisions aren't being made on the clock. There's way too much going on. in that small 15 minute window. Again, those things really have to be ironed out. Um, in advance as well. So there's a lot of those calls um, happening right now. Jim, can I just ask you about the, the evolution of the draft? We've interviewed former players who were drafted in the early 80s and they kind of joked about the fact that they didn't even know until very late in the evening where they were picked, what round they were picked. But these days, the scrutiny, the coverage, ESPN, second to none, NFL Network with the daily shows, the draft itself on the night, the enormity of that what comes with that and the scrutiny on the players one small thing can see a player move from the top 10 down to the back end of, of the first round, second round. Just your, your thoughts on how it's progressed over the years. It's a monster. Uh, I mean, you guys are over there in Ireland talking about it, which is really cool. Uh, but it's, it's grown exponentially almost every year. Um, I was part of the team up in, in Nashville at ESPN two years ago. Uh, and I think 47 million viewers tuned into that, uh, that draft and just being a part of that for ESPN and seeing what that city looked like. I mean, it was nuts. Um, it was an absolute party, uh, huge, uh, colossal event. And then you go to last year with the COVID draft and 55 million people watched that draft. So, um, you know, 8 million more than the year before. So just the coverage of this thing, I think social media, I mean, the internet started to play a role. Um, you know, in the dawn of the internet in the early 2000s, late 90s, you had a lot of guys that were interested in the scouting profession, you know, create websites. And then once, you know, Twitter in 2009 or 2010, whenever Twitter launched, um, I wasn't on it at the time. I never got on Twitter until I got this job at the Senior Bowl, uh, but it's exploded. So, you know, there, there's so much there's so much content out there. Just like us, you know, what I did at the Senior Bowl this year, posting all the pro day numbers um, that was that was just me, you know, getting with scouting friends from around the country and making sure I had a guy at every pro day. And as soon as he got done, he'd shoot me the numbers and, and I would post them. But that stuff never used to get public. You know, I mean, all this from hand size to arm length. I mean, that was that was stuff that was never consumed before. So we, we've really again, this thing is just growing every year and it, it's amazing. I, I don't know what it's going to look like five, 10 years from now, but uh, certainly from when that from the time I got into scouting, um, in 2000, um, this thing is, is taking on a life of its own. Jim, it's, it's fascinating and fantastic to hear you talking about the, the efforts of scouts, obviously, in dealing with UFAs, the undrafted free agents there. And in your time, obviously, with Seattle and the Patriots, you're talking about two organizations that are renowned, obviously, for um, undrafted free agents making the 53-man roster and getting a real fair crack at the whip there. 
Um, in fact, it brings to mind obviously one of one player who could very easily could have been a UFA but was drafted in the seventh round was one of the many prospects you found over the years, but recently retired, uh, Julian Edelman. Um, and I know, and I've seen the interviews where publicly you've been extremely um, deferential if you're saying, look, all the credit on his career goes to Julian, goes to coaches like Chad O'Shea, who was a receivers coach and stuff like that. But I come back, and I'm a Patriots fan, so I come back to, I think, the first call that Belichick made to Edelman. He said, hey, kid, well, you know, we don't know where you're going to play. We don't know what you're going to do, but we know you're a hell of a football player. And I'm just wondering, for you as a scout, when you've identified, hey, this guy's got all the raw talent, um, and he could be a, a D-back, he could be a wide receiver, he can definitely play ball. How does it feel like for you when you see someone who you've identified at that early stage go on to develop and have the type of career, obviously, someone like Edelman and many other players that you found have? Yeah, it is rewarding. You have to take some satisfaction in that or you wouldn't do your job. You wouldn't take pride in your job if there weren't some sort of payoff, right? Um, so yeah, it's 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 awesome. I'm like, it, to me, even in this job at the Senior Bowl, it's all about seeing these guys realize their dreams. That's why a week from from now, it's going to be such a great time because I know what these players have, have done their entire lives and the sacrifices they've made to get to this moment in time. And so to see Julian, you know, have the career he had, obviously it was... Uh, it was awesome. It wasn't awesome when I was with the Seahawks and playing them in the in the Super Bowl later on, and he was making plays. Um, but I, I would have never thought Julian would have had that kind of career. Like, did I think he'd play in the league and and, and be capable of getting on the field and being a contributor? Obviously, but becoming an all-time franchise great player? No, I would have never. Can't ever say that. Um, so it's been great. I mean, Julian's a great story. Again, is a scout. I mean, if you really want to boil it down, all you're trying to do is find good football players, right? And, and Julian had a lot of different qualities that made him a great football player. Um, and most importantly, his instincts. I mean, the guy had unbelievable instincts on a football field for like feeling people around him and space awareness. Um, and then just the athlete, the change of direction, um, you know, that reactive cutting ability. Like he, he was a, he was a great, great football player. And that was coming off the heels of there was a guy at Kent State before him named Josh Cribbs that played quarterback and Josh went on as a projection player for the Cleveland Browns and played wide receiver and um, was an incredible special teams guy. One of the best in the league when he was in the league. Um, so it was kind of cool, like back-to-back -back players at a small school like Kent state produced these phenomenal athletes at quarterback that the league really didn't see as quarterbacks, but they both, both found homes in the league because they were, they were good football players and they made it happen. So, um, but back to your original question. Yeah. I think, I think every scout would tell you that, um, you do take some satisfaction when guys that you that you uh, identify end up having good careers. That that's definitely part of it. Absolutely. And Jim, you've obviously been the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl since 2018. It uh, seems like not it's not too long now, but it's still a considerable amount of time in in the NFL and in college football as well. And it really is growing over here. But I guess in that time since 2018. Is there one memory that, that, that you could maybe talk to us about that might be your favorite as your time as the executive director? Has somebody walked into Alabama and just blown everybody away and maybe went up in the draft because of it? Um, there's been some there. I mean, I haven't really thought about it. I'm, I, I usually don't get too reflective on things, but um, there's been some great moments. I've really enjoyed this job. It's, uh, you know, it was a family decision for me. We were living in Mobile, Alabama. It's my wife's hometown. You know, I've said it before, like the scouting profession is, is, is a tough job and a lot of people don't want to hear that, but it really is. You're on the road almost 200 nights out of the year. That's 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 tough on a family. So, um, 
you know, I really have enjoyed this experience and it, and really I like trying to think about it right now. Um, there's been a lot of little moments, but even just in, as recently as January, uh, you know, kind of shared a moment with Quinn Miners, the, the division three offensive lineman who came down to the game this year. And he's to me, he's the greatest story in this year's draft. Um, but after the game was over, saw Quinn at the hotel and, and he kind of pulled me aside and we, shared a cool moment. He was very grateful uh, for having the opportunity to come here to Mobile. So it's, it's some, some of that stuff with the players that you don't always get as a scout, you know, as a scout, your team drafts the player and you get them in the building and, and, you know, everyone else is, is on him. And as a scout, you kind of sit back and um, you're glad he's there because you believe in him. You think he can help you win a, a Super Bowl someday, but you don't get a lot of those personal moments once those guys are always drafted. So um, some of that stuff, like some of those times with, with Quinn are, are, are pretty special. And we, we saw um, today, earlier today, I suppose, um, you know, one of the players, there's at this time of year, lots of talk about everyone, but one of the players that's been talked about a lot is Matt Jones. And Matt Miller um, tweeted out that, you know, teams have found him incredibly impressive in interviews, just just um, absolutely outstanding. You had the opportunity to, to spend a week. He trained um, down there. Just interested in, in your, your thoughts, uh, you know, what, what did you see in, in the player and the person? Yeah, you know, Max, another great story coming out of this year's game. I, I really feel like uh, when I was trying to pitch him to come play in the game, he and his mom and his girlfriend, we, we sat down and uh, I really thought at that point he was more of a late first round pick and he had an opportunity to really move up. And now we've seen that. I don't think Max getting out of the top 10, whether he goes to San Francisco or not. Uh, I think probably only Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch know that at this point. But, uh, but no, it, you can't just call Max smart because it's way beyond that. I mean, there's a lot of smart guys. I've talked to the guys at North Dakota State about Trey Lance and people that have been around Trey Lance. He's extremely intelligent. Uh, I've heard a lot of the same things about Justin Fields at Ohio State. But just being around Mac and knowing that Alabama program like I do and some of the coaches on that staff and then, and then you know, getting him down here to Mobile for the week and seeing, you know, how he navigated this week. Um, He's, he's like next level into like off the chart smart. It's, it does him a disservice to injustice to say he's just smart. Um, and that's really kind of a twofold thing. Like football intelligence kind of encapsulates a lot of different areas. One, he's kind of that old school junkie, like that kid that just loves to be around the, around the facility. He doesn't have a lot of outside interests. He, he's all about football. So his study habits are off the charts. Um, you know, we had formal interviews down here this year. We had to do everything structured um, and behind plexiglass and everything with the teams this year to do face-to-face -face interviews. So it's, it was different than a normal year where it's a little more of a free-for-all where, where scouts and coaches can just grab players any, anytime they see them. We, we had to really formalize that process. But I bring that up because um, our staff was closing down the convention center across the street from our players' hotel this year. And two of the nights they found Mac um, in one of the meeting rooms of the convention center just watching tape by himself after midnight. And again, he wasn't doing that for show. He didn't think anyone's going to find him. He was just in there by himself, by himself watching practice of that day, taking notes. Um, so that speaks to kind of how he is and how he's wired. And then, you know, this is a stressful week for all the players. Um, there's a lot on them in terms of learning an NFL playbook, whether it's pared down or not, it's still different verbiage than they're used to. And then going out on the field and executing that and, and just being around the NFL guys and being coached by an NFL staff, there's a lot there. Um, and there's particularly a lot on the quarterback. So, you know, a lot of these guys, they don't get in the huddle anymore. You know, they, in college, they look at the sidelines and someone's holding up a cue card with like Daffy Duck and, 
a bottle of Coke on there and they're supposed, that's the play call, you know? So they're not used to huddling. They're not used to getting under center and taking a snap. They're not used to huddling and spitting out verbiage to their teammates. And so to see Mac day one have incredible command, like know where he was going with the football, like the football's coming out so quick and on time and where it's supposed to go um, from the neck up. He's, he's as good as you could ask for. I mean, those, those Bama coaches, they're like, we could not install enough for this guy. Like he can absorb anything. And, and now there's stories coming out of this draft process and the zoom calls that, um, you know, I talked to a team the other day, they gave him a play, a play here at the senior bowl in their, in their 15 minute meeting with Mac. And then they just brought it up on a zoom call the other day. And they asked him, you know, do you remember that play that we gave you in mobile? And he knew it right off the top of his head. He knew what the play call was. He knew what the, you know, what the progression was and the, I mean, it was, so they were, they were just blown away. So this dude, you can call him smart, but it's, it's not doing him a, 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 a it's like calling Lamar Jackson fast. You know, that's there. That's not, that's not good enough. You know, he's uh, he's beyond fast. So, um, and that's why I think a lot of the coaches, now that coaches are part of the process, you know, the, the scouts laid it out through the fall and they graded the tape um, and talked to people at the schools. But now that the coaches are diving in, they want they they love they're falling in love with this guy because of what they know they can do from a playbook perspective with him. Jim, um, just on the defensive side of the ball in this draft, there's, there's a lot of people out there that feel this defensive class isn't as strong as previous years. But there's, there's three intriguing players for me. It's uh, Critty Pay, Jaden Phillips, and Gregory Gregory Russo. All things equal, who would you feel would have is arguably most prepared to have the, an immediate start in the NFL? Um, I would throw Aziz Ojolari in there from Georgia as well. I think that he's part of that group. Um, I think those guys are, are kind of, there's, there's a shelf after those guys. Um, so the, the most ready, uh, maybe Jalen Phillips in terms of uh, being on the field immediately and making an impact. Um, obviously, there's some things that have come up uh, red flag wise on Jalen that teams are working through right now. But, uh, but if you talk in terms of highest upside, I'd say Quiddy Pay. Um, you know, you, you look at, you look at the sack numbers and, and they don't jump off the paper at you, but when you put on the tape, the disruption does, I mean, this dude is so disruptive. He is such a good athlete. He's powerful. He's fast. He plays his tail off. Like his best football is so far out in front of him that, uh, that I'm a huge believer in Quiddy too. So, you know, this edge class is getting knocked a little bit that there's not a, I get it. There's not a miles Garrett or someone like, or a Von Miller in this class. Uh, but there are good players. And I really feel like in that third, fourth round area, you're going to get a bunch of guys. They're going to be five, six, seven, eight sack guys at the next level. And those guys are really, really valuable. Um, so there might not be that elite talent up at top, but there's, there's, I really like the depth in this, this year's edge class. Um, Jim, Roger Goodell rightly gets a lot of praise for being able to conduct the NFL season with him and his team there uh, in the midst of obviously a worldwide pandemic, but equally be remiss of us not to acknowledge the, the great job by you and your team there at Reese's Senior Bowl to allow that to go ahead this year, especially considering you're dealing with college students coming from all around the world. I mean, we as fans appreciate, and I'm sure NFL teams appreciate it because they got a better chance to evaluate players and get the consistency of information, like you were saying, you and your team were kind of pulling together and putting out there. Um, it strikes me, we, we spoke to Michael Lombardi actually recently, and he said back in the old days, and he didn't specify when, he was a bit open about that, but he said back in the old <laughs> days, 
you could talk to coaches and they tell you the truth. And as, as scouting went on and as the NFL and the drafts got bigger, people started lying to you. Or he said, and he said, well, not necessarily lying, just holding stuff back and trying to sift through information became tougher and harder and things like that. I mean, in both your experiences, A, did you find that as a scout? And B, do you think the senior bowl and the obviously the, the great effort you put in there helps sift through some of that and present a, a cleaner picture for teams as well? Uh, yeah, there's a couple points there. First, I appreciate you recognizing um, the job our team did to, to pull the game off. And I, I would remiss, I have to say, like a lot went into that process. Um, we, we were not going to do that brazenly. Um, we did a ton of research. We were in constant contact with not just not just health officials, but but also people at the college and NFL levels to to draw upon their protocols and how they were making it work throughout the fall. I mean, we really didn't get to a spot where we were comfortable with this and probably until late October, maybe. Um, and then then once we feel we realized we could we could pull it off safely, then then we were kind of steadfast in making it happen. But I'm very proud of the team to pull it together. We had we had one positive test. Um, here out of 3,600, over 3,600 tests during the week. So we, you know, we, we tested the players every day. We tested the NFL guys every day. And then, um, you know, a bunch of other protocols that we, we put in place. So I appreciate you bringing that up, proud of our team. Um, but in terms of the, the sourcing and getting information, uh, I'll say a couple of things. Like maybe it's gotten a little harder just because um, there is so much information out there, right? There's so many, the coverage is so great. I think that, uh, there's, there's, there's no lines between it used to just be like, you knew what media was, you knew who the media was, you know, they represented a, a newspaper, or they represented a television station. Um, and now because of social media, and I, I say, I think this is a positive thing. There's just more out there. You know, there's just, there's just more out there. People are easier to get in, in contact with. You can DM them uh, that, you know, how we connected. Uh, they just, people are more accessible. So I do think schools maybe, um, uh, I don't think they're like consciously holding back, um, but there's like conflicting agendas there too. Now, like they want their guys to go on and succeed. And I see that from, from my role here at the senior bowl, I want all these guys that come to our game to go on and, and get drafted as high as possible. So I, I see that side of it as well, but I do think the good scouts that really work at the relationship side of the business. And that's what the whole thing is about. I mean, you're going to have 32 teams going through Tuscaloosa every year. Um, I mean, there's, there, because of Alabama is so good with scouts. I mean, there's four or five guys there every day. Um, so you have to, you have to really work to create relationships at these schools um, and, and, and be trusted, you know? And, and, and so there, there is, there's a lot of work to be done. I think that the really good scouts, you know, get credible information. I will make one point that has made it easier. There is so much movement on the college side now on coaching staffs that, you know, there nobody staying put for more than three or four years at a certain school. I mean, you just look at how many coaches have come in through Nick Saban's staff over the years. So what you end up doing a lot of times is, you know, a defensive line coach could have been in Tuscaloosa for a player's freshman and sophomore years. Well, now he goes off to USC. You put in a call and say, hey, coach, you know, you had such you know, player X for his freshman and sophomore years. Can you tell me about your experience with them? Like, how, how was he for you back then? Um, so you, you, there's a lot more cross-referencing that's going on right now, which sometimes can make it more difficult because sometimes, uh, you know, one staff will see a, a certain player one way and then they leave and go and a new staff comes in and they see them totally different. So you have to work through that stuff. But 
but it, it, it's, but that's what it comes down to. Um, I really feel like watching the tape and watching the player and identifying the players, the easier part of the job, the harder part is trying to figure out we're all complex beings, right? Where we're, you're trying to figure out a human and a young, a young guy, you're trying to have a young guy that's going to have way more time on his hands, way more money on his hands, way more outside stress from family and friends. I mean, there, there is so much that, that goes into these players and is, pressure on these players and that's why you see guys bust I, I truly don't think the vast majority they don't not pan out because they weren't good football players they they don't pan out because they weren't mature or equipped enough to handle some of the early um you know life challenges that get thrown at you because of that nfl lifestyle jim you mentioned about the lot of information i still reckon there's information out there that kyla murray is secretly six foot two actually and, and... <laughs> Um, I'm going to just go on what Jim said there and I'm going to go from a very neutral viewpoint uh, Jim, 2019, January 2019 two quarterbacks, one is Drew Locke and one is Daniel Jones, both playing in the Senior Bowl obviously now both are starting with their retrospective teams uh, it looks so as if there may be a quarterback battle or maybe coming in Denver depending on the draft but a very intriguing position sitting at nine in this draft if you were, or, you know, just, just looking at the draft, Jim, do you think it might be wise to, if you get the opportunity, go from nine to seven? Or do you think there really, there really is that much talent there at nine this year, isn't there, that the, you, they, the, the Broncos could really pick the best person available there? Yeah, they can add a great, they can add a very good player at nine without moving. Whether, whether they can get that quarterback, that, that's what they're, I'm sure they're trying to figure out. And, and I'm a big believer in Drew Locke. I always have been. I mean, this is a guy that, was a division one basketball recruit. So put him up there with any of the guys in this year's draft athletically. I mean, this guy's a, you get a, you get a basketball scholarship from Oklahoma. You can ball now. <laughs> like you're, 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 you're a dang good athlete. He's got a cannon for an arm. He threw 44 touchdowns as a junior at Missouri. He's had some really bright moments in the NFL, you know, four and one as a starter down the stretch as a rookie. And then you go into last year, I think, I think because of what Justin Herbert did um, having his record breaking season, in a, in a COVID year without the preparation, I think that's tainting and we're really knee jerking a lot of these quarterbacks right now that I don't think it's fair to these quarterbacks. So you got, you got, you go into year two as Drew Locke, you have a new, you have a new coordinator coming in. You don't have an off season with them. I think a lot of people talk about all the young guy weapons they drafted for them. Yeah, they were talented players, but they're young, they're young guys as well, you know, without an off season. So yeah, you drafted Jerry Judy and, and, and KJ Hamler and some of these other pieces, but they're rookies without an offseason too. How much can you expect of those guys? Um, and then you get into the season and Cortland Sutton goes down, your, your, your main target, that's your security blanket. So there was a lot of factors why Drew's play was a little uneven last year. I think this is the big year. I think you owe it to Drew to, to let him see what he is. I think people are really, uh, again, kind of a knee-jerk reaction that, oh, he's not the guy. We're so quick right now to evaluate these quarterbacks. And if you go back over time, whether it be a Troy Aikman going one in 15 as a rookie or, or a Peyton Manning throwing 27 interceptions as a rookie. If Twitter were a thing back then, those two guys would have been, you know, they would have been a laughing stock of Twitter, you know? So I think that's kind of what, what's hurting Drew right now. But if you bring it back to right now with George Peyton coming in um, as the new GM, I'm a believer you can't throw enough resources at the quarterback position until you really feel like you have it nailed, you know, until you have that Tom Brady or, 
that Russell Wilson or, or Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, uh, you, you, you exhaust it, figure it out, like throw as much resources. And, and if you bring in Trey Lance and he and, and Drew are in the same room, let the best man win. And hopefully one of them comes out standing and he's your franchise guy. But uh, so again, George has, he's got a lot of options this year. And if he goes quarterback, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with it, but I do think I'm not one of those guys that think Drew Locke is shot and, and, he, and he's not, he's not the guy moving forward. I think there's a good chance he could be the guy moving forward. You, you mentioned in, in that answer, uh, I suppose, one of the, the quarterbacks over your shoulder, two uh, very impressive quarterbacks there, but you mentioned Justin Herbert and, and what a season he had. But um, Jim, I, I remember you um, tweeting back in October, I think, that Justin was one of the most misevaluated players and people um, in, in recent years. Can, can you talk to us about maybe why you think that was, given you know, that he, he proved to be so impressive um, in, the, in the league? Yeah, I, I think this goes to all quarterbacks. I think the quarterback is such a dependent position. You know, we all want to point to the quarterback and why a team has success and what a quarterback is. Um, again, you have to be really careful at some of these bigger schools. I know Mac Jones is getting knocked for it right now. Oh, look at all the people around Mac Jones. Um, you know, Joe Burrow had it last year. Look at all the people around Joe Burrow. Look at all the people around Dwayne Haskins when he played at Ohio State and Justin Fields this year. I mean, all these guys at these major programs, every time they take the field, they're lining up with significantly better personnel than that's on the other side of the ball on defense all virtually every time they step on the field. And that's definitely not what's going to happen at the NFL level. Um, it's going to be a level playing field for, for the most part where in Justin's case, you know, people knocked his accuracy and they knocked, they knocked a ton of things. I think there was a couple things. I think the offensive line was overrated. Um, it was widely hailed as the best offensive line in college football. I think if you watch the tape, that was not the case. You just look at last year's draft. I mean, Shane Lemieux went in the fifth round, and that's great. I mean, Shane's going to play in the league. Kelvin Throckmorton was an undrafted free agent. Um, the center, Hanson, went in the sixth round to Green Bay. So, I mean, it's not like that offensive line was loaded with a bunch of first and second round players. And then I think the skill positions. I mean, he, didn't have, he wasn't throwing to anybody that's playing in the NFL. Um, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a guy in the perimeter or a guy in the backfield that's going to have a significant NFL career. So, um, he was really shorthanded. He wasn't playing with nearly the same. This that was not an apples to apples comparing to what Justin Herbert dealt with on the football field than, than some of these other quarterbacks. So that's why I feel like he was misevaluated. I, I really saw a really good player when I watched the tape. I saw a guy a guy with great mobility, athleticism, accuracy to all levels, incredible arm strength. So um, he really did surprise me what he did last year. I mean, a little bit. I wouldn't have said you know, record-breaking season, but I really felt like Justin was, was an awesome player and was going to be a franchise-type quarterback that's going to go to playoff after playoff. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that – and then with the, you talk about the person. We had him down here. I spent a ton of time around him. He was painted as – the word introvert was used a lot. He was the furthest thing from an introvert. He was just a kid that was comfortable in his own skin. You know, was he Joe Burrow? Was he going to be smoking cigars and – you know, hanging out with, you know, they, they, they're different people and they're both great. I love Joe Burrow. Um, but, but Justin isn't that kind of guy, but to see him assimilate with his teammates here at the senior bowl, whether it was big guys, small guys, black guys, white guys, like you saw it after the game. I mean, as soon as the game was over, they were all rushing to him. Um, so he did something over the course of the week here to make his teammates gravitate to him. So, and we, and we purposely put Justin 
in a lot of different situations during the week to kind of test him. Um, like we had a concert downtown Mobile here with like 15, 20,000 people. And I had him come up on stage with me to introduce the band. So he's up there in front of 20,000 and he had a great time with it. Like he didn't shy away at all. So it was, uh, again, I, I was just trying that, that there were so many narratives about Justin last year that were so off base. Um, and that's why I said, he's one of the most misevaluated guys we've had in a long, long time. Jim, I recall last year when the Giants selected uh, McKinney in the second round, the, the first question Dave Gettleman said in the press conference was that he felt he was a first round player and they were surprised that he dropped out of first round. Is there any players you see this year potentially that could be in a similar scenario if, 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 if moving into the second round or is there a second round player that could surprise us and jump into the first round? Uh, I, I, I did a mock draft on ESPN a couple nights ago with, with uh, my guys, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper, and those guys are fun. They do an awesome job. Uh, but I got after them that Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama, was not in their first round. And, and uh, he's been invited to Cleveland. The NFL does a lot of homework on who's going to get drafted in the first round before they invite those kids to, to the draft site. The last thing the NFL wants is some, some young guy sitting in, a, in the green room waiting for his name to be called and, and not to go on day one. So uh, I think Barmore is going to be up there. He's the, he's the most talented defensive tackle in the class with, with maybe Levi Onwarizike from, from Washington. They're very different players, but um, in terms of interior guys, they're, they're both very good players. So I would have a hard time seeing Christian fall out of the first, um, but that's kind of where teams have them. And I'm kind of peeking up right now at our, at our draft board to kind of think of some other names. I mean, I haven't seen Creed Humphrey, um, the, the center from Oklahoma in a lot of mock drafts. And to me, you draft Creed Humphrey, you're drafting a, a perennial pro bowl level center. And if you can get one of those guys in the first round, and I don't care how you value the center position, if you can get a pro bowler, you go get a pro bowler, right? You shore up a position for 10 years and a really important position, you know, center is a very important position. Creed's a three time, you know, started from day one when he got to Norman, he's been a two time all American. Um, he tested off the charts at his pro day. So the athlete is a high level athlete and the, the tape is the tape. He's just, a, he's just a great football player. So those are a couple names off the top of my head that I haven't seen going in all these mock first rounds that, that to me belong, uh, belong in the first round somewhere. Uh, and Jim, one of the organizations you were previously involved in, the Green Bay Packers, obviously, with Corey Lindsley going, might be looking at a center late in the first round. You never know. Um, Jim, earlier on, you mentioned there about some of the great quarterbacks, and they didn't necessarily get off to the most. Um, they got off to a bit of an ignominious start. John Elway, Peyton Manning. I always love throwing in Steve Young there, starting off 2-14 and 14, his first two seasons with the Bucks. Right. But all of those players ultimately achieved the highest goal. They ultimately all went to and won Super Bowls. In fact, all of them won Super Bowl MVP. You obviously personally, whether it's with the Packers, twice with the Patriots, and of course, once with the Seahawks. And yes, you did lose one or two, and you mentioned the, the Seahawks lost to the Patriots, but you were part of an organization that four times reached that echelon. Um, do, do any of them particularly stand out more than the others? And honestly, what is it like as part of that overall organization, just being part of something that achieves the pinnacle, as it were, in your professional football career? Yeah, I mean, you couldn't, I mean, those three, you look at Brett Favre and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, they are such different players and such different guys. I mean, they're all really different people too. Um, but obviously some of the best that have ever played it, they'll all be in Canton someday. I mean, 
Tom, to me, is inarguably the best one. You can't win seven Super Bowls and make an argument against that. But so they're all they're all different guys. But 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 to be a part of it, uh, I think that's why people get you stay in football. I think that's that's what drives guys to to work in football is to be. To me, as the draw for me is just to be a part of something bigger than myself. Um, to be competing. You know, I'm a very competitive person. So to be competing for something, you know, as a group. Um, so yeah, to get to that where you whether you have the smallest part in it, you know, in green Bay, I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I was just an intern. And, uh, but to be a part of that season and be in that building and be a, be a part of something special. I mean, it's one of the greatest years of my life um, just to be part of that group. So um, yeah, that, that's what drives you. And I think that's why most guys do it. They want to stay connected to something bigger than themselves and um, they want it. They want to have a job where they have to compete at it. Fantastic, Jim. And look, uh, just 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 the last one for me, uh, Jim. You've obviously garnered great success both as a scout and obviously with ESPN now, but with the Senior Bowl as well. And we've been very fortunate in the UK and Ireland and in Europe to have a few NFL games. You're more than welcome, Jim, to uh, bring over the Senior Bowl at some point if you like. Maybe over to Dublin or London, but or even a international format because I think that's a very good point. Actually, the the growth of the NFL Academy in London, you've seen like guys like Effie Obata go over, is is fantastic. So it would be amazing, even if it's 10, 15 years down the line, to see an equivalent happen where players can go over to the states after. That would be great. Or I need to go over there and make a, a scouting trip over to that academy and check those dudes out for myself in person. Um, I, uh, that might be a good uh, might be a good expense for me to get over there. I've never, like I said, I've never been. So um, any excuse, I would love to get over there. But yeah, I do think that's where it's going, guys. Um, this this the global expansion of, of the NFL. Um, I was actually on a, a podcast with with some guys in Scotland and. We just talked about, you know, the popularity of the NFL. A lot of it's based on the parity of the league and that there's, you know, I didn't know the inner workings of, of football over there, um, but it sounds like whoever has the most money tends to win and there's not a lot of parity from year to year. Um, and to me, I, 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 that doesn't interest me. You know, I love the NFL because you can, you can go from worst to first if you have a good draft and have a good free agency year. So um, that's great that it appeals to, to all you. And I, I really, it's, it's cool to see the expansion. So I think that's where we're going. I think you're seeing more international guys um, get shots over here. I think we just saw the, a tight end from, I believe, Chile um, just got signed with the Washington football team. He worked out at, I think, Florida's Pro Day and blew it out there. But I think you're going to see more and more in that. And that's really exciting. And um, it's cool to connect with you guys. Like, the fact that you reached out and wanted to do this. I mean, that was it's pretty cool to be on somewhere other than uh, in, in somewhere in the States. You, we have been a joy to, to talk to. I think we could probably spend another 45 minutes, Jim. Um, it's been really interesting to get to hear your thoughts from somebody like who's been at the coalface and has the opportunity to, to work with many of these players, to see them up close. We are in for a fascinating evening um, next Thursday, but obviously the days that play out. And as you said, the, um, you know, the undrafted guys, where they go. Um, hopefully we'd love to have you back on again in, in the future and uh, talk to you because you are so insightful. But we just want to thank you again for taking the time to chat to us this evening. Yeah, fellas, I appreciate you having me on. We'll do it again. This was fun. Um, we can't wait for next week. I know, I know none of us can, so can't get here fast enough. Sorry. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Jim. Thank you, guys. Thank you.